good to see you all. For some reason, it feels like it's been a long time. I guess because some of you um, have uh, been away for a week or so, and so good to see you all again. It's uh, been a really good week for us and our family because we had a bit of a um, health scare with my dad um, a few weeks ago. And so we were all kind of nervously waiting and, you know, praying and wondering what was going to happen. But we got the good news this week that um, all is clear and he's good. And so it was a huge relief. And so we've just been walking on cloud nine the whole week, just really grateful. Um, And in a week-ish, we're going to be meeting them in Hawaii. So that's another reason why we're (laughs) having a really good week. Looking forward to that. Um, So we'll be away for about 10 days. Um, So we'll be here next Sabbath. um, And then uh, we're away... um, from the 11th, I believe it's the 11th to, no, the 13th to the 24th is when we're away. But um, we're looking forward to Rosie preaching for us the weekend that we're away. And after that, Dave has got the message. And so we're really looking forward to, to, um, to that as well. In February of this year, a marine conservationist named Rainer Schimpf was snorkeling in South Africa uh, in Port Elizabeth. And he was there because he was filming um, this sardine run, you know, where all these packs of sardine were, were going through a certain area. He was filming, snorkeling, when all of a sudden he felt a huge surge of water and then pressure. And the next thing he knew, he was being gulped by a whale. And um, the, his wife and friend who were watching from the boat in horror managed to capture the moment on film. Very important, you know, in a moment of crisis. Whoop, take a picture. Um, and so then this picture was published all over the world, here in Australia as well, on the Age and Guardian and any other news agency. And every single news agency said, mentioned and referenced, Jonah, right? They said, this is, this is like the biblical Jonah, where he was... Um, Swallowed by a whale. Unlike Jonah, though, Mr. Schimpf was very fortunate in that um, the whale spat him out. So, so you can see his belt there. That's his bum, and that's his flippers. And so that's, um, yeah, him. And so luckily for him, the whale spat him back out within a few seconds, and he was not injured in any way. Um, and he, he lived to tell the tale. Unlike Jonah, who... Spent a few more <laughs> moments um, in, in the whale. And it's so interesting to me that um, all these news agencies reference Jonah because Jonah is known for having, you know, even, even though we live um, in a society where not everybody knows the story, it's, it's, everybody knows that there's some association with a guy named Jonah and a whale. But today I want to look a little bit uh, deeper into the story. What is this story all about and why is it in the Bible? Who was Jonah? By the way, this is the guy who uh, who got swallowed, and um, yeah, he said it was pretty um, frightening, but also it happened so quickly that he didn't really have time to process, and then it was over. But who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet, that is, someone who worked for God, who um, was employed by God to share a message that God had for the people, and he lived during the uh, 8th century B.C., And we first meet him around 785 BC when he prophesied for the king of Israel, King Jeroboam II. And he told Jeroboam that he was going to have victory over the Assyrians, which were uh, enemy uh, people who always, you know, 
you know, we have border control issues today in the world. Well, back then they had just as many. And so they would fight over the border and sometimes the Syrians would, would, would conquer the land and then they would inch closer to, you know, Jerusalem. And then sometimes Israel would, you know, fight back and they would take back the land. So there was all these um, border control wars happening and battles happening. And Jeroboam II actually recovered all the territories of Israel um, between the Dead Sea and, and the area that they used to occupy before the Assyrians had taken it. And um, Jonah had been one of the prophets who said that, that Jeroboam would do this. So that's the first time we meet him. And then we meet him in the book of Jonah. He has his own book. And um, the story starts, and you can follow along in, in your Bibles. It's on page uh, 743 from memory. There we go. Um, and, but I'm going to narrate a little bit for you. So um, Jonah is told by God, to go to the capital city of Assyria, which is Nineveh. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell the people that there's going to be judgment on the city for their wickedness. Now, you would think that because the Assyrians are the enemies of Israel, that being told that the enemies are going to be judged is actually good news for you, right? For the Israelite. You think that Jonah would be thrilled to be able to go tell Assyria, you're going to get judged, it's over for you. But instead, Jonah gets on a boat. And he gets on not just any boat, but the boat that is sailing to the farthest point from Nineveh as you can get at that time. In that known world, Tarshish was like the end of the line. You know, it's like the farthest you could go. And that's where he was headed. But God sent a storm and everyone on the boat is flipping out. What's going on? Why is this storm happening? Every single one of them is pray praying out to their individual gods. And the storm is not ceasing. And then they discover Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the boat. They wake him up and they're like, hey, call out to your God because we're all doing that to, to try to be saved. And then Jonah realizes, oh, yeah, this is actually because of me. And he tells everybody, I... I serve the God of heaven and earth and the sea, he, you know, who created all this. And they're like, ah, oh, it's you. You're the reason why we're dying. What are we supposed to do? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. Now, these sailors are very conscientious, and so they actually don't want to kill Jonah. And so the Bible says that they actually tried really hard to maintain um, you know, the, the boat, and, and they didn't want to throw him overboard. But it just gets so bad. They finally say, okay, God, don't hold us accountable for his death because we've tried everything we can. But since you seem to be upset with this individual, we will throw him overboard, and it's in your hands. So as soon as they throw him overboard, the storm ceases. And the Bible says that all the sailors in the boat are like, wow, and they worshiped God. Meanwhile, Jonah is sinking blah, 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 to the bottom of the sea. And then the Bible says that God sends a large fish to swallow Jonah. And he is in the belly of the fish for three, three days and three nights. Now, there's lots of incredible elements to the story. But a lot of skeptics and scholars have looked at this story and said, this can't be true because there were no whales or large fish in the Mediterranean at that time. Well, in 2018, there was a new study done by an international team of researchers who discovered whale bones in the ruins of a Roman fish processing factory loaded at the Strait of Gibraltar. And they have identified two species of whales, right whales, as pictured here, and gray whales, um, which look very much like right, 
those. Um, I found the two pictures and I was it looks pretty much the same. Huge whales. And so it turns out um, that they were wrong, that actually this, there used to be a huge calving um, industry of whales in the Mediterranean um, that got fished out. But in, back in, in that time period, there were lots of whales. Whether it was a whale or some other large fish, it's still a miracle that Jonah survived for three days and three nights. And uh, the Bible is very clear that God preserved him, that there was no other way that he could have he lived um, being in that ordeal. And the Bible goes on to say that after the three days and three nights, God orders the fish to spit Jonah back out onto dry land. And then this is where we're going to pick up the story. So follow along with me in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So after Jonah has gone through all that, right? Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from, Nine- from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. What an amazing happy ending, right? Jonah is saved. The city is saved. Praise the Lord. But the story does not end there. There's another whole chapter to come. Chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So here we find out the real reason why Jonah ran away to Tarshish. It wasn't because he was afraid of preaching. It wasn't because he was afraid of public speaking. It wasn't because he was afraid that, you know, if he went into enemy territory, they might kill him, right? It wasn't because of any of that. He ran away because God is just too merciful. Because he knew that if he preached to the Ninevites, there was a chance that God would forgive them. And Jonah did not want them to be forgiven. He wanted his enemies destroyed. And he wanted his word to stand true, no matter what, right? If he prophesied that they were going to be destroyed, well, what's going to happen to his reputation if they're not destroyed? Even though... Jonah had just been shown incredible mercy by God, even though Jonah had been given a second chance, right? Remember the whole running away, storm, fish, right? Rescue. He doesn't want mercy or salvation or second chances for anyone else. He's so angry. It's so ironic because he says, God, you don't like destroying people, but kill me now, right? Because he's so upset, that things did not go his way. And the story continues. I love how God interacts with him. Moving, uh, going on to verse 4. 
The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Jonah's a very dramatic guy, if you can't tell. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about this plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And the book ends there with that question lingering in the air, not only for Jonah to answer, but for us to answer. Right? Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city with thousands of people and animals because God cares for them too? And he had asked Jonah, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? What makes you angry? When someone jumps the queue? When our comfort and our privileges are threatened? When someone who, in our opinion, doesn't deserve good things, gets them anyway? <laughs> I was picking Micah up from vacation care this week, and um, we had put him in this holiday program, not at his school because his school is having renovation, but at a neighboring school. So it was his first time going there, and um, Roy had dropped him off in the morning, and I was going to pick him up, and um, I didn't, you know, I, I was like finding the gate, found the gate, went through, picked him up, and I had Joshua with me, and um, signed him out, and then he didn't have his hat, so we're like looking for his hat everywhere, so I'm getting grumpy, because this is like the third hat he's lost in two weeks, and, um, you know, we're walking out, I've got each boy in each hand, and I'm scolding, like mid, like, continuous scolding, um, nagging as I'm walking out the gate. Like, you know, it's your responsibility to take care of your hat. How could you lose the hat? Going on and on and on. And I was, because I was so involved in my nagging that um, I forgot to close the, uh, lock the gate because there's a little sign there saying, make sure you lock the gate before when, each time you enter and exit. And there was a lady on a bike um, and the, her kid was getting on, on her bike um, on the road. And I kind of like edged around them to keep going and she turned and she barked at me and she said are you gonna lock that gate and it caught me self guard and I was super embarrassed and I said oh I'm sorry I forgot and so I went and I locked the gates and then um and then I, I can't remember if she went first or I went and you know, got to the car and at the moment it, 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 it I was just startled but then as I got to the car I thought how rude right I thought she could have said that a little bit better. And then I started thinking of all the different ways she could have said it. She could have said, don't forget to lock the door, right? Or she could have said, can you, can you close the gate? Or anything else. And so then I'm, I'm still, I'm feeling a little bit ruffled, right? When we get in the car and um, there's this certain way out of that 
very um it's a really bad area to get out a lot of lot of traffic a lot of cars so i'm waiting for my um my turn and there's like there's supposed to be a clear way so i can make a right turn out of a very congested area but inevitably a car comes into the clear way so now i'm blocked and i have to wait a whole new set round of traffic lights right until another clear way um happens again so now i'm feeling grumpier and the anger it, it has has now dialed up from frustrated to to grumpy tonight and then i resume my scolding of the hat <laughs> to the kids in the back um and and um by the time i get home i am so angry <laughs> and um like you know roy got home and i was telling roy about the incident and and i just i was just so upset about what had happened and i was getting a bit dramatic telling roy i didn't want to you know, say things like, I'm so glad, you know, Micah doesn't go to that school, and um, I don't want to go do the pickups there anymore. I was getting quite dramatic. And um, all of a sudden, I felt I felt this still small voice kind of saying, why are you so angry? <laughs> is it is it right for you to, what, what is your justification for being so angry? And all of a sudden, I kind of replayed the scene in my mind. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, there I was feeling so injured, feeling so, you know, like, oh, she was so rude to me. But I, I all of a sudden, as I replay the scene in my mind, wondered, did, did I cut her off? Was she trying to get on the bike and go? And then I, you know, me and the kids like took up the road and she felt un, unsafe or cut off. And, and all of a sudden it, it, it occurred to me that maybe I was the rude one, that I was the one that who, you know, frustrated her. Um, or maybe she had a, you know, she just really wants to ensure the safety of all the children inside. And, and you know, maybe she had an incident with opened gates or who knows. But all of a sudden, as I, as I thought about the situation and went back to it um, and replayed it more objectively, rather than just thinking about how it made me feel, just looking at it, um, how it might have impacted her, um, the anger dissipated finally in that moment. Sometimes you feel so justified in being angry because we feel the sting of the injustice. But what about when we are, as the video about justice before the sermon started um, showed, what if, what if we're part of a system of injustice? When others are disadvantaged in maintaining our status quo, where is our huffing and puffing then? When it benefits us to be in that system. We justify others' suffering with Oh, they brought it on themselves or serves them right or even that's just how it is. And we might feel sorry for them, but where is the anger then? For it's right for us to be angry at injustice. You know, Jesus was extremely angry when he walked into the temple and he saw that the religious leaders and the merchants had completely exploited the people. You see, the people would come from far to worship in, in the temple of Jerusalem. And sometimes they couldn't travel with, you know, animals um, and so they would come and they would want to buy the animals there. And the merchants knew this, so instead of just charging a normal price for the animals, they raised it to triple the amount, right? Because they knew, ah, the demand is high, we can take advantage of this. And then on top of that, they decided, well, you know what? We want to make more money, so let's not just charge them triple the amount. Let's make them exchange their foreign currency, uh, foreign currency, um, to a special temple tax money. So they created a new currency, a temple currency. And everyone has to then exchange their money for the temple currency before they can buy any temple animals for the sacrifice. So in the end, you're paying four or five times what a normal sheep would cost. And Jesus walks in and he sees 
you know, all the merchants, you know, um, selling the animals and yelling out different things. And he's so angry because not only are they exploiting the people, but they're completely making that house. He says, you're making my father's house a marketplace. In another place, he said, you're making this, this place is now a den of thieves instead of being a house of prayer. And he's extremely angry. What makes us angry? Is it the injustice that is happening to others? Or are we usually angry because of something that affects us? Our priorities as a people are very messed up. And we depend like Jonah on the temporary shelters and shade that give us comfort. And when they go, we get very upset. When there's a cell phone network blockout or Wi-Fi interruption, watch out. Remember how angry people got when Coles and Woolies stopped giving out plastic bags? Do you remember that? People went berserk, <laughs> angry, right? And, and abusing the staff. When someone says something on social media that we don't like, do, do you ever read the comments? People are just so mean and angry, right? And whether, whether you write them or not, sometimes we also have that response when we see something on some uh, social media, like, ugh! Now we have this very strong response, negative response to people. Why do we get so angry? Jonah is angry because this plant, you know, he's sitting in the sun and he's created a little shelter and a nice little vine grows and gives him shade and he's so happy. And then God sends a worm and the worm eats the plant and when it withers away, he is so angry. But you know what? He didn't have to be there. When God spared the city, Jonah could have been in Nineveh, rejoicing with the people, right? worshiping God with them, in the shade, having a feast. But he chose to go out of the city, sit somewhere where he could see it from a safe distance, and he's still hoping that Nineveh will burn. Despite the fact that God has already said that he's going to forgive them. He's sitting there hoping that destruction will still come. So he's choosing to sit in the hot sun. God did not place him there. He put himself there. And not only that, but Jonah had so many reasons to be happy. If you think about what he had just gone through, he had disobeyed God, but God had given him a second chance. Not just um, a, a begrudging second chance, but he got rescued from a f- storm and then a fish. That's a pretty big testimony to be able to come back and be grateful for that second chance of life, right? You know, my dad, because um, I was talking to him this week after we heard the good news, and I, and I asked him, how do you feel? And he said, I feel like I've, give, I've been given a second chance at life. He says, I feel reborn. I feel like it's like my birthday all over again. That's how Jonah should have been feeling, like he's been given this second chance at life. He was literally in the belly of a fish. He was supposed to have died, but here he is alive and given another opportunity to serve God. He should have been thrilled. But instead, he's sulking in the hot sun. He's angry because of the vine. You know, it's easy to laugh at Jonah, but I don't know about you, but a lot of times we are a lot like Jonah. We run away from God because we don't want to do what we know we're supposed to do. 
Because this is what the Bible says. The Bible, Bible doesn't really hide what God's will is. The Bible says very clearly that God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This is God's will, right? When Jesus left the disciples, he said, I've given, um, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus had left a very clear commission. Hey, everything I've taught you, go teach others and make more followers for me. Jesus had said, don't worry about what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Right? God is saying, hey, prioritize me and you will have what you need. Here's one from Revelation where um, there's eternal good news that is to be carried to everyone in the world, every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted, give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. And so God repeats throughout the ages to each generation. He has a very clear message of, hey, God created all things. He is your uh, Lord. He cares for you. He wants everyone to be saved. And so worship him and help others to get to know him, right? If I could summarize kind of the message of the Bible, it's know God and be saved by him, right? And that's the message that we're supposed to be proclaiming. That's the message that Jonah had to share. But Jonah didn't want to share it. And we don't really like to share it. Because sharing that message requires giving up what we want to do, giving up our pride, giving up our reputation, giving up something that is centered around our own agenda of what we want for ourselves. We really like the idea of God saving us, right? We really like it when God shows us mercy and gives us that, you know, storm, fish, saving testimony. We love that. But then when God says, okay, now go do that for someone else, now make sure someone else can have that experience. All of a sudden, we're getting on a ship sailing just harshest because we don't want to. We don't want to go there. And when God sends us storms and fish to guide us back into His will, we do it reluctantly, right? We're like, all right, but we remain like Jonah, unconverted, still selfish, still stubborn, still sulking in the sun, right? Still hoping we can still have our way, <laughs> despite what God has shown us. Can you imagine Jonah sitting there in the hot sun? How long do you think he sat there waiting for the destruction of Nineveh until he finally realized, ah, oh, I'm wasting my time because <laughs> God is not going to destroy the city. How long do you think he sat there thinking about God's question? Hey, why are you so angry? Shouldn't I care about this great city of Nineveh? And of course, the implied question is, shouldn't you care about this great city of Nineveh? I wonder how long Jonah sat there in the sun before he finally understood that following God's will is a part of being a Christian. Part of being a follower of God is not just about being saved for ourselves, but it's being part of that experience of, of being involved in the salvation of others.
that question that God leaves at the end of the book of, hey, shouldn't I care? Why are you upset? The same question that lingered at the end of Jesus' story, when Jesus told a story about uh, um, two sons and a father. And he said that the younger son took his father's inheritance and he ended up wasting it all away. He's ashamed, he's broke, and he comes back home because he has nowhere else to go. And the father is, <coughs> excuse me, so happy to see his son. He throws a big party. And the older brother comes home from working all day in the fields and he sees the lights on, he's, he hears the music, and he says, hey, what's going on? And the servant says, hey, your younger brother has come home. And the older brother's like, oh, great. He must have, he must have done well. Because I see there's a party going on for him. Did he come back rich and successful? And the servant says, oh, actually, no, he lost it all. He came bare feet. He looked pretty bad. And the older son's anger is now mounting. What? He lost it all? Then why in the world are we throwing a party for him? Right? He's a loser. Why are, why are we celebrating him? And the servant says, oh, well, doesn't really have an answer. So he decides, let me go talk to your dad. Servant goes in and says, hey, your older son is pretty angry. So father goes outside. The father comes to the older son. He says, hey, son, come in. Your brother is home. And the older brother says, you have never given me a party. I've slaved for you all these years. And you've never, you know, killed a calf, let alone a chicken for me. And then this son of yours comes home. Who have wasted all his inheritance. And he's thinking, and part of my inheritance, right? And you throw him a party? Dad, how could you do that? And the father looks at his son and he says, Son, everything that I have is yours. But this brother of yours, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Shouldn't we rejoice together? Why don't you come inside? And the story ends without us knowing what the response of the older brother is. The story ends with that same question mark that Book of Jonah leaves with, which is the, the love of the Father, the love of God saying, hey, shouldn't we care? Shouldn't we rejoice in the lost being saved? Instead of being so angry that things didn't go our way. Instead of being so upset that we don't have everything we want in our lives. And that's the question that God wants to ask of us. What makes us angry? And where is our shade? Sometimes we sit like Jonah under the temporary shelters we have built for ourselves. And those temporary shelters are comfortable for a time. But when those shelters start falling apart, whether that shelter is our financial security, whether it's our career goals, whether it's our relationships, whatever it was, we've built that shelter, we were happy, and then when it's gone, we are so upset. Meanwhile, God is saying, hey, why don't you go under the shade of what I provide that will be permanent, that gives you peace, and that cannot be taken away? 
why don't you join the others in worshiping and and rejoicing and being saved instead of being in your own world preoccupied with your own things what are we living for what are we living for what do we spend day in and day out doing what's it all for is it for happiness is it for security is it for our families what are we living for god asked that question of jonah and of the older brother older brother worked so hard he was a good boy right he spent all his days working in the father's fields but what was it all for what was it all for there was jonah he preached he went to nineveh but what was it all for he should have been so happy right he preached for one day and he converted the whole city right i would have been thrilled thrilled with the with the statistic like that but he's so upset because that's not what he wanted that's not what he wanted at all what are we working for where is our shade found James chapter 1 verse 11 says the hot sun rises and the grass withers the little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away in the same way the rich will fade away with all of their achievements no matter what you look work for in your life you can leave very few things behind what are we working to achieve Jesus said calling to the crowd you know, he's got his 12 followers who have, who have committed to following him, who have left things behind. And he turns to the crowd and he says, hey, you can join me, right? I've only got, I've only have 12. I can take up more. He says, come on and join me. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul. This was his call. He says, hey, come join me. Leave your shelters that you have built for yourselves and come under the shadow of my wings. Where is our shade? Is it in our investments or is it trust in his name? Is it in our abilities or faith in his word? Is it on the shoulders of people we lean on or under God's wings? Do we leave justice to God, or do we want revenge in our own hands? Do we live according to the promises of God, or do we live clinging to our own expectations of what we want out of life? I hope we can say with the psalmist uh, in Psalm 91, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. We don't know what happened to Jonah, right? The book of Jonah ends with that cliffhanger of God saying, Hey, Jonah, you could be out here angry, angry enough to die in the hot sun, or you could be in the shade. You could be rejoicing, you could be worshiping, you could be celebrating, right? I'd like to think that since the book is written, that Jonah did finally understand God's compassion, that he packed up his things and said, yeah, let me go back to Nineveh. Let me, let me celebrate with, with the saved. Right? I like to think that since this book has been handed down to us, that 
Jonah actually, um, we don't know who wrote it, but I like to think that because of all the details that Jonah either told the story to someone who wrote it down or that he wrote it himself and that he did it with full humility before he cared so much about his reputation. But now he puts it all out. He says, this is how dramatic I was, right? This is how foolish I was. And he puts it all out um, because he no longer cares about his reputation. He cares more about God's name being praised. I like to think that Jonah left us this story to help us to choose humility and obedience and compassion. So if God is calling you to obedience today in some area of your life, the lesson is to don't run away. <laughs> that if God is calling you to obedience in an area of your life and you know that he's been, he's been reminding you about it and poking you about it and chasing you about it, right? The more you run, the more you're going to run into the store. <laughs> and so if God is calling you to obedience today, <clears throat> I want to encourage you to accept and obey. And if you are in, in the middle of a storm or if you find yourself in the belly of a fish, to remember that God is a merciful God. God is a God of salvation and that the moment you call out to him, that he will save you because that is his promise. He's done it for Jonah. He did it for Nineveh and he can do it for us. And if you find yourself exhausted and weary from being under a temporary shelter that you have built, I want to invite you to step out of that shelter and to step into the shade of what God has to offer. Even though that shade might sound scary and risky, right? even though it means trusting in a God who loves to take you on adventures, and even though that means giving up your own way of life and your own wants, desires of and ideas of how you want your life to be with the recognition that in God's shade there is a peace and a joy and a satisfaction and a meaning that cannot be given or, or, or taken or achieved any other way and I pray that as a result of having that connection with God having having found that shade and shelter under God that we will then be partakers of that wonderful experience of, of seeing a whole city saved, right? Here we are in the city of Melbourne. Forget Nineveh, 120,000 people and animals, that's nothing, right? How many thousands and millions of people are here? Doesn't God care about this great city? And how can we have compassion on them? How can we, instead of just living our lives, focus on ourselves, how can we live so that this great city can be saved? I want to challenge you to think and pray about that and what that means for, for you um, and how God might be calling you to change your priorities um, so that this great city of Melbourne can be saved. And as the song of reflection um, is played, I invite you to spend some time in reflective prayer. That you give that mercy to all of us and Father, I pray that as, an ex as a result of having experienced your mercy for ourselves, that we would have compassion on others, that we would be able to have humility to obey you and to experience the peace that comes from being exactly where you want us to be. Forgive us for the so many times when we have been restless and we have been selfish and we have disobeyed and have been in that hot shelter complaining and sulking, Father. Help us instead to be eager um, and quick to do your will and to, to experience the, the journey of following you. Um, 
We want to pray for Melbourne City, Father. We want to pray that you would help us to make an impact here, that we would help this city to glorify you. And that, Father, that um, if it is your will, Father, that you would provide us a building in the city where we can have a center of influence, where we can have a permanent presence. Um, And, Father, in the past, you have provided us this space for free. And so we we believe that you can provide um, all the resources and everything needed to make that happen. And we just pray for your will to be done in such a magnificent way, Father, for greater things have yet to come. And we believe that you are going to do amazing things, that people who um, we can't even imagine would come to to turn to you and worship you as Nineveh did. And so, Father, help us to to realize that there is always hope. And there's um, there's always life and there's always uh, miracles with you. And help us to be open and willing to be a part of that experience. We pray in your son's name. Amen.